banter at the beginning. Yeah, so you excited? And have you seen anything? Bro, I'm so excited. People have already started getting it, right? And what upsets me about it, and that's a weird thing to be upset about, is that I, I haven't even got it yet, bro. <laughs> they go to me on Wednesday, oh yeah, we've sent it. And then they go, if it doesn't come tomorrow, it'll have to come on Tuesday because of bank holiday yeah. weekend, yeah? Some people got it today. And then I asked my mum, I said, have I got any boxes? Because they, they send me a few books in it because I get like a certain amount. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not like loads, but a few to, to give to family and friends. And uh, they go like, my mum's like, yeah, there's nothing downstairs. So I'm like, what the hell? How come people have got my book and I haven't got my book yet? <laughs> so I was a bit upset. I'm not upset, obviously, but it's flashing. Yeah, yeah, but... Quite, but I would have liked to have had it. I would have liked to be... Yeah. I would have liked to have been the first person to have got it in it. Yeah, yeah. So I can be like that on Instagram or whatever, saying, look at my book or whatever. You're going to be other surprised people, seeing it yourself. There's, like... other peop- there's other people who have read it by the time I get it on Tuesday. <laughs> but, so, but no, I'm very excited, bro. Yeah, man. It's going to be coming out on your birthday, so I'm sure the date's like... Big as off years or everything. But I thought it was coming out on my birthday. It turns out people have got it a week before. So really, but 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 the, I was saying people have got it. People are sending me pictures today saying we've got your book, and I'm like, okay, but I haven't got my book. What yeah. the hell? <laughs> um, but yeah, the release, the official release date is my yeah. birthday. So let's go. Let's just go with that. Okay. All right. Then yes. that's fine. Yes, people, welcome back to the show. Um, I am here on Breaking It Down, another series on my channel, um, also released as a podcast where I talk with athletes personalities comedians as well and now in this case um well, i'm an athlete bro what are you talking about <laughs> well you gotta go do pakistan go to pakistan play some cricket all of that kind of stuff but, look, at um, my yeah. Blackburn, look at my blackburn rovers top everything all of I that mean, given 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 the way we're playing i'm probably i'm good enough to play for them actually but yeah i'm joined here by um Tezelias. as i said we, we interview entrepreneurs um athletes all that kind of stuff i'm here joined by tez Ilyas. um I want, to big, I want to big up your intro because, like I said before we started recording, I've already met you. I've watched a lot of your content, um, and I think it's only right to do that. He's a seasoned comic. He's an actor. Um, he started with The Fast and Fool, and it's evolved all the way up to eight in Man Like a Bean, which a lot of people know you for. Um, you are obviously Tez in um, Bounty. You had your show on Channel 4. Um, and in a couple of weeks' time, or in about a week's time, you're going to be officially an author, like, even though, like you said, your book's already been read by people. But I'm here with Tez Elias. How are you doing, man? Assalamu alaikum, Ji. Thank you so much for having me. First of all, forgive the lockdown looking at it. I thought this was going to be an audio podcast. I didn't realize we were going to be on the YouTube as well. So I've done my best to comb my hair with my hands. That's cool. uh, but it is what it is. I don't think people should judge each other for how they look in lockdown, you know? Yeah, no. But I think that's a big thing because... I bet well, you're could... as well. It goes crazy. Yeah. You know, you know, I had a shave this morning and I'm just, not my fault it's like this now. No, but the point is, is that like I could get a haircut if I wanted to, bro. On the black market, I could go and get one. Yeah. But I have responsibilities, in it. As someone who people look up to on that, I can't just be breaking lockdown and going to get a haircut by... by um, Mustafa, 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 Mustafa down the road is waiting for the haircut. I, I, I here, so I could do that, bro. But I'm like, I'm just being sensible, in it, And I'm yeah, being yeah, fair yeah, and stuff. You know what? I'm meant to be in TV a lot next week, so I must I must get a sneaky one done then. But right, I'm not supposed. But now also I'm thinking I've not had a haircut since like I, I now and again trim my beard with a trimmer, but not as good as the barber. But yeah. I've not had a haircut since November. Um, I think early November because that's when we went to lockdown, isn't it? And yeah, then we didn't. Yeah. Blackburn never came out of it because we were like tier four or some something. You've been like, in it for a while, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bro, we've been living the life, isn't it? So I've not had a haircut since then, bro. So now I'm thinking, you know what, mother is. So it'll eat now. It's only six weeks away, five yeah. weeks away. Eve is only five weeks away, five and a half, whatever. Six weeks away, I think it is, right? So I might as well just wait till then now. You might as well. Um, it? But it comes with it. With being Pakistani as well, obviously, the hair grows a lot quicker. 
And so, and that's just the and that's just the men. Poor <laughs> poor women as poor women as well. With all that with all that beautician shit and that bro, it's, it's a madness out here. But, that's why um, pretty that's why pretty pretend to spend seventy seven grand on her eyebrows, bro. It's just I mix bro, that's on the lowest side, isn't it? I understand it. If I'd been her, get, if I'd been having a haircut once a week for the whole of the last year, bro, it'd be about that much as well. So you know. <laughs> um but let's get into it. Um the first thing I want to ask then, obviously you've already started it, is how lockdowns be for you. And the reason I want to ask you specifically over other people that I've interviewed is because you've obviously You've, it looks as if you've made a real effort to become more dynamic during this period. You've obviously tapped into TikTok. You had your Twitch streaming. Uh, you had that dessert series on social media on TikTok and Instagram. Um, so how's it been for you as what you'd call yourself as a content creator during this time? Listen, are we allowed to use bad language on this? Go for it. It's not like I'm monetizing anyway. I haven't got enough subscribers. Cool. Okay, bro. You know, if you throw enough shit at the wall, you just hope something sticks in it. That's basically what's going on. That's cool. No, it is good because... It's like, as a comic, it's good to see. I think I said with this Artif as well. It's good to see that you can open up to different avenues because you're funny in the first place and you can just open yourself up to doing different things. You know, the book's been amazing in it, Alhamdulillah. So I've written yeah. the book and that, inshallah, like I'm very proud of it and inshallah it'll be a success, but that's not necessarily up to me uh, because we can't force people to buy things. Um, but inshallah, like I'm proud of what I've done. The social media stuff, bro, I'm just throwing shit at the wall in it and seeing what sticks because it's not my forte, bro. You know, we, we, I live on stage in it. That's where I'm comfortable. Exactly, that's, my yeah. home. That's, my, that's my home ground. Being on social media and creating content for social media feels like an away game every single time. Yeah. It's not what I'm used to. Like now and again, it bangs. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Now and again, I have a good one in it. Like when I had that Eid one where, where I'm taking grandma to the pub. Yes. That one, that one banged in it. So straight away, you know what it is with social media? You know straight away, you know straight away how well your content is doing in five minutes. And that, five, that first five minutes lets you know how the rest of this is going to go. Because if it doesn't bang in that first five minutes, you're like, oh, so gonna, <laughs> this, is, this has been a bit of a miss, this one. And for you, it would have been different because you're in front of people all the time. That's your bread and butter. And now you're just looking at a camera hoping that people react with buttons. It's like, it's, it must be exactly, a bro. And like, thing for you. I don't have the skills, the transition skills that these kids have I don't have the editing skills that these kids have yeah. so I try my I try my best but I feel like grandpa just trying to keep up with the kids in it like it's just yeah, I, I didn't grow up I didn't I didn't grow up on any I didn't grow up on like like I'm used to even when people film me you know when I'm on when yeah. I'm doing man like Mobino Tesla o'clock show bounty or whatever else I've been in other people take I only take care of my performance I don't worry. I don't have to worry about the camera angle. I don't have to worry about the lighting. I don't have to worry about how the sound is. I don't have to worry about the editing afterwards. I don't have to worry about the music over the top. I don't have to worry about any of that, bro. I just turn up, say Vicked. They <laughs> edit it into some. They edit it into something amazing, and they be like, Ah, Tezilias, Ah, Hey, Ah, Vicked, Ah, Ah, you're so funny. But these TikTok creators, bro. These social content creators, bro. They are the performers. They're the directors, they're the editors, they're yeah. the producers, they're the lighting and sounding technicians. Bro, they're amazing, man. I have a lot of respect for them. But I just don't have the skill or the patience for it, bro. Nah, I hear you, I hear you, I hear you. But then what about then when lockdown opens up then? Because then you'll have all your events starting and going again, hopefully in full flow. You've had, hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, with your, hopefully maybe some more acting opportunities coming up then. Would you say any of the stuff that you've done during lockdown, whether it's Twitch streaming, TikTok, there's a dessert series. Would you be looking to continue it? Yeah, of course, bro. The Twitch streaming has been really good. You know what? Twitch is one of the hardest things I've done because, yeah. because of my following on Instagram, Twitter, 
TikTok, I'm used to a certain level of engagement in it. Yeah. But Twitch is its own thing. Because it's all live, isn't it? It's all live and it's its own thing, bro. And what I realized is I didn't have the following I've generated online is not a big gaming Twitch following. So when I yeah. said I'm going on Twitch, I didn't bring a lot of people with me because they just weren't that crowd in it. Yeah. So I brought a certain amount. Don't get me wrong. I'm not like, I'm not like Twitch, bro. Like people start on zero for months and months and months and they grow up like by one or two followers at a time. So I didn't, I didn't quite have to do that. Like I generally get between like 15 to 30 people watching, which is still not loads, but it's bro. That takes some people like, if, if I was starting from scratch and I was, a, I was, I wasn't like a comedian and I was just doing Twitch from scratch, bro, that can take two years to generate 15 yeah. to 30 viewers. So obviously I had that as a baseline in it. So I was able to get that many people across on that. But bro, trying to grow it from there, bro, is tough. And being consistent with it. Because people do it every single day and stuff. And yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's tough, man. But it's good like to connect with, even if it's a small or especially a classroom of people in it is who I'm connecting with. Um, and then you grow like quite a loyal following. Like those people who do come and watch, they're there every day, bro. Um, but it is, it is different. It is different. And I'm not, a, I'm not like a pro gamer either. So no one's tuning in to watch my gaming skills. They're there to, to, to request to say Vicky man or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And the thing <laughs> is, I can't, I'm very, very bad at multitasking. So I can't do two things at once. So either I'm playing the game or I'm engaging with the chat. Yeah. The thing is, if the, if the game's really interesting, it puts, like, for example, I've been playing like, a lot, lot of the Batman Arkham series, yeah? So I'm playing Batman Arkham City. The game sucks me in. So I forget about the chat for like sometimes two minutes at a time, which is, can be a long time. I'm like, if people are not there for your gaming because your gaming is crap anyway, yeah. and then you're not engaging with the chat, bro, it's, 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 it's a whole new thing for me to have to yeah. learn. But it's, no, it's good, bro. Alhamdulillah. I'm glad, I'm glad I did these things. I'm glad I'm trying these things because it's so important. Like, once we start up properly and then kind of go out and do the gigs and get back on stage and stuff, like, I think the way for me to bang social media really is to start filming my gigs, filming those yeah, yes, live yes, interactions yes. I have with the audience and stuff and bang them out because... That's the thing I'm best at. Yeah. So why, so why aren't I leveraging that? 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen K. Kerr do that quite often as well. And then he's yeah, yeah, K. Skits I've, as well. Yeah, I've done it a little bit, but not as much as I need to. Yeah. Uh, definitely, that's something you can look into. Then the first thing I want to tap into then on your journey is actually the sort of period where it clicked for you because I had to do a little research because I didn't know everything about you. And it said on Wikipedia that you had a master's in biochemistry. Is that right? No. So Wikipedia, you can never trust it, innit? I've got a bachelor's in biochemistry okay. and a master's in management. So okay. I do have a master's and I do have a degree in biochemistry, but they've just brought the two things together. The thing is, right, so I did biochemistry and I fell out of love with science, innit? By the time I finished it, I was like, I don't want a career in this. So then I did a master's in management to make myself more employable in the wider world, not just science. Yeah. So that's yeah, that's where it came from. Okay. Also, because I want I want to stay at uni for another year as well because I was really enjoying it. That, that was <laughs> that enough. as well. Fair that enough. Was that then. as well. Um, with the, this podcast is this podcast aim is obviously to help people coming through. Um, in this case, being a comedian, an actor, whatever you serve a quote, because there's a, there's a load of stuff you can refer to yourself as. Um, what when would you say or what would you say was the point where you had that spark that you wanted to? Going to open mics would have been the start of it all then. Bro, it's a weird one, isn't it? There wasn't really like a libel moment because you know where, where, you, where do you live, bro? I live in Slough, which is just outside West London. Okay, well, it, London's slightly different, but 
But I guess Slough's then a little bit different to London as well. But if you, if you come from a place like Slough, like Blackburn, Bradford, Birmingham, these sorts of places, bro, growing up, yeah, you don't have ambitions to become comedians yeah. and actors and stuff like that, including our background as well. Because, bro, it, doesn't, it just doesn't happen. Like, I wouldn't even know where to start. If, if, if someone said to me as a kid, the age that I am in the book that I've written, if someone said to me, if someone told that kid, or oh, when you grow up, yeah, you're going to become a famous comedian. You're going to be in TV and that, bro. Yeah. That kid would have told that, bro, that man to fuck off. And gone, <laughs> you know what? Should, should I become an astronaut as well? Are you daft? <laughs> like, bro, it's so far removed from my experiences, isn't it? So yeah. there wasn't a moment when I was younger that I had any ambitions to be a comedian or an actor or anything like that. That's not to say we weren't very performy, filmy people. I used to love performing, bro. I used to love doing drama at school, but I dropped it in year nine. So I didn't even do it for GCSE because I thought that's not going to be any use to me Yeah. as a GCSE. I'll do business studies. That might be useful to me. I'll open my own GP practice. I wanted to be a doctor back then. So, bro, it wasn't any ambition. It wasn't even in our heads. Don't get me wrong. You had your odd fantasy. You know, when you have a fantasy of being a football player or something like that, that might have been the odd fantasy of me like doing something like that. But bro, never anything beyond that. Um, it, really, it really came, started when I moved to London. Yeah. Um, so the beginning of 2000, so I'm a little bit, but beginning of 2010, I was just searching online, Googling, um, writing workshops in London, because I, th- I was living there, I was working there and living there. I was Googling writing workshops in London, just because I thought I might just try some creative writing, try and meet some new people, um, just something like that, you know. And, and then doing that, I came across a stand-up workshop. And I thought to myself, oh, my friends always tell me I'm funny. I should give this a go. And yeah. in that, on that day, in that particular time, I was in the right frame of mind to say yes to the universe. Um, that was my kismet. And I said, yes, I'll do it. And I paid my £130, which is a lot of money to me back then. And I did it, bro. It was one day a week for six weeks. And it didn't, these things don't teach, like when I say stand-up workshop, it doesn't teach you to be funny, but it teaches you the mechanics of doing stand-up, which is different to being funny, yeah. to being just funny. And yeah, it's great, bro. It got me started. And without it, there's no way I would have, because, bro, I don't, even then when I was living in London, if someone said to me, oh, do you want to try stand-up comedy? I would still have no, like, if I said to you, go and do stand-up comedy, what would be your question? Where? How? <laughs> it, exactly. So yeah. I would have had those exact same questions. So, so, so doing that workshop, let me know how to do that as well. You know, there's an open mag circuit in London, which is a huge subculture, bro. Once you enter it, you're like, how did I not know this exists? Because it's yeah, yeah, quite yeah. big. And there's like hundreds of people on it. Um, so I started doing that and that was like the bottom, the lowest rung of the ladder, like where he's, you know, literally a man and his dog and his dog in the audience. Um, you know, those open mics vary from like five people in the audience to like 50, 60 people on a good one. Um, and you get like two, three every night for like four or five nights a week. So it's a, it's a big thing. And so on that, you're just learning how to be a comic. You're learning how to tell jokes. You're learning new material. Uh, you're practicing new material. Um, you're learning your stage craft and that. And so after a bit on that, once you're doing well, once you get a bit of a rep, then you start progressing to the better shows. So that's basically what I was doing. So, so middle of 2010, I started doing the open mic circuit after graduating from the stand-up workshop. And I just started progressing from there, bro. And Alhamdulillah, here we are, 10 and a half, 11 years later. 100%. How, how did it evolve then? Because uh, Artif was talking about it as well. When I interviewed him, he said there was just a ton of, a ton of um, just open mics, like he said, with literally barely only a few people in there you'd have bad audience sometimes on certain days and you're just constantly doing them for either free or for little money which is nowhere near you know make a living off it so 
how did it evolve all the way up to would you say when you really started to get a lot of traction which was I'd probably if I had to guess because I haven't been following your career from the jump because I'm a, a lot younger I would say probably 2015 to 2017 is probably when you started getting it yeah 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 so those first five years bro was a hustle in it uh 2010 to 2015 and it was just that bro progressing on the open mic circuit so there's competitions you can enter for new new comics specifically for us there's like five to ten different ones with all yeah. varying degrees of pedigree so I started entering them, bro. And from the jump, I was doing really well on them. And people were surprised because they're like, you've been going a minute. Like, what? I remember the first competition I entered, this guy was saying to me, you know, entry, of course, entry. But, you know, you're not going to get to the final. Or win yeah, or anything, yeah, yeah. But, you know, entry. And stuff. Bro, I got to the final, innit? And the guy was like, how? And I was like, I don't know. I'm just fucking going on stage and doing my bin. And they kept voting me through to the, round, the rounds, innit? And then in the final, bro, they didn't place me, which I was pissed off about. But I was like, I smashed it, innit? And then from there, I just started entering more and more competitions. And the big one was the BBC New Comedy Award, which was the BBC annual new yeah. com- comedian competition. And they'd, it'd been on hiatus for like five years. So the last one they ran was in 2006. And you know who won that one? Tom Allen, the guy on Channel 4, all over Baker yes. from that. And the yes, runner-up yes, yes. Yeah, the runner up for that was Sarah Millican. So that's, that's the pedigree of this competition. Um, and then they had a break for five years from 2006 to 2011 and they brought it back. Luckily the year I kind of started, they brought it back. So then I entered that. And again, bro, out of 700 people who entered, I ended up in the final in the top six. And again, I didn't win. I, didn't, I never won any of these competitions, yeah? I was like Andy Murray before he won the first Wimbledon. I kept getting the final and then not winning. Yeah. But for me, the semi-final was always my final. Because if I can get to the final, that's good enough. Like then I'm in, then I'm in there, innit? I'm in with the big boys and that. I'm in the top six, ten out of... 100 to 1,000 people that went to the competition. Like, that's sick. So, for me, I always wanted to get to the final because then that's always there, innit? That I was a finalist. If I win, then cherry on top. But I never <laughs> I never won one. Um, I was like, you know, did a couple of trying to go for that Oscar, then you eventually won one. So that analogy doesn't work either now. With Andy Murray and won his Wimbledon and Leonardo DiCaprio won his Oscar, I'm like, shit, these analogies don't work for me now. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, so, so that got me more recognition. And it also brought, it validated myself. Yeah. It validated my own um, desire to want to do this because it told me that I'm doing the right thing. Like I have some talent and ability in this. And if I work hard, then maybe I can make it work to a certain level. So I just carried on, bro. I hit it harder. Um, you know, I was out there gigging. I was doing a full-time job, but in the evening I was out gigging three, four times a week, bro, trying to make this work. Um, and that eventually became my social life. And then eventually you build up. So all comics, new comics, they build, what they want to build up to is the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Yes. And their first, and their first hour. So basically their one man show or one woman show effectively. Their one person show. So that's what I was building towards. And obviously I, d- I didn't Edinburgh before that, but like sharing an hour with friends. So yeah. there'd be three, four of us doing an hour. Like, so I do 10 minutes, 50 minutes. They do 10, 50 minutes like that. But you build up to your one man, one hour show. That's what you build up towards. And that happened for me in 2015. Okay. And then that was a really big hit, Test Talks. That was a really big hit in it, and people really liked that. And that's what started everything else, my radio show, my TV opportunities, yeah. all that sort of stuff. And then I met Gus that year as well, because uh, we both did those Ramadan shorts. So I did um, uh, Fast and the Fool, and he did his as well. Yeah. And so we got chatting off the back of that. And then I had a short that I was doing for Sky called Tez Ilias' Christmas, I mean, the Shisha Cafe. Yes, 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 yes. So then that one happened. Then he put me in the pilot for Man Like Morbin. 
And then luckily that went to the series. Uh, so I carried on in that. And then I did the Tesla Clock show, I put him in that, I put him in Bounty. So, you know, we've always been, because we got on so well. Yeah. yeah, the collaboration thing is really important because we got on so well. And also he's working class Pakistani guy, much like how I grew up. And so we had this shorthand that I didn't have with anyone else. Even like Artif's a great guy, but Artif grew up a certain way in London, didn't it? So as much as I love Artif, there was this immediate shorthand with Guz that I didn't have with anyone else in the industry. Yeah. We just got each other straight away. And he was an outsider as well because he didn't even do stand-up much, not on the mainstream circuit. So he was an even bigger outsider. So obviously I was able to like explain to him how some of that, some of that stuff worked. Um, but yeah, man, we just got, and you can see our chemistry as well is undeniable. So Yeah, 100%. So, so that kind of helped as well. And then from there, bro, just going strength to strength, trying to take the opportunities that come my way. And then obviously lockdown happened and that gave me time and space to write a book. So here we are as a stand-up comedian, actor, author, author, content creator, streamer, uncle. Bro, I got a lot of stuff going everything, on in it. Like, everything. yeah, everything. Just seeing what sticks. Then was acting then ever on the agenda in the first place or was it just then something that evolved? Because it happened, I think, your acting stints and I think it happened pre- a lot more quicker than obviously your uh, your time as a comic. You had then your your Fast and the, Fu- Fast and the Fools to the um, Sky Sketch to Man Like Mabin and then Bounty. Uh, which is, I think, just short of a million um, views. Yeah, yeah, now, yeah. It's really which is really million, good man. to see. Um, so was that ever on the agenda for something for you to take off? When I, st- when I started doing stand-up, at that point, I was like, oh, I'd love to get into acting and stuff. But again, I didn't know how. To- Even then, when I was in the, in the industry, at the footing, I didn't yeah. know how to go about doing that stuff. Because you need agents on that, innit, for that Just stuff. take it as it comes, I guess. Yeah, so I just started taking it as it comes, bro. And whatever came for me, whatever was written for me, I just tried to take advantage of those opp- opportunities. So... When, when, when they asked me, do you want to write a little short script and acting and that for Ramazan, I was like, yeah, she's sick, let's do it. And then people were like, oh, you know, you're a good actor, you know? And I was like, am I? All right, you I are, you are. You're but, yeah, I, but yeah, but I didn't know, bro. I didn't, I, before that, I didn't know. Because the last time I did any acting was year nine drama. Yeah. When, they told me, when, when they told me that I was good at drama, but, you know, you forget from the age of 14 when I stopped doing it, I'd forgotten that I was actually all right acting, you know, by the time I was doing them like, in my early 30s. So... Yeah, bro, alhamdulillah, just trying to take advantage of the opportunities now. Now, like, I've started to get auditions and stuff, and, bro, it's hard, man, because now you're competing against proper professional bandini, yeah. like, people who've actually studied acting and gone to acting school and that. And us, love, we just, like, just turn up on set and be I like, don't, I don't know what, why I'm here. <laughs> what, what do I see? What shall I see? Um, but, yeah, man, so alhamdulillah, like, I've always not tried not to put too much pressure on the acting. Like, I'd like to do more. Yeah. And I'd like to do, like, some sick stuff on that, but ultimately is whatever's written for me will happen and well both literally and metaphorically 100%. Uh, and, and spiritually whatever's written for me will happen so we'll see we'll see in it we'll see we'll see um then the next thing i want to tap into then is um my life would be in which i guess was going to be an obvious topic to talk about because um i'm probably seeing your fan base grow alone because of that character eight that you played um it's gone on for three seasons and every time a season finishes because my life with being isn't a particularly long it's a lot of long show by any means it's like four or five episodes per series and the end one always vexes you because it's like well what what about the next part and at this point we're in series three i watched when it came out i had a school day that day i still remember i think i was in year 10 um i had a school day i had mass first lesson and i was watching all the episodes before school started oh, and damn. I, I went to school knowing that uh, eight just died I'm seeing Gaz and Tolu in um, uh, in jail, 
I'm like, what's going on? I'm, even the timeline is constantly going, when's the next series coming? When's the next one coming out? Have you started filming yet? And I've only just started hearing news that there's potentially filming going on right now. Um, so how is, it, how is it all been for you going into a scaled acting opportunity compared to the, ske- uh, the sketches that you normally had and then working with the likes of Dua, uh, Tolu and then Gus? Bro, it was, it was such a big, moving into Man Like Mobin, that was obviously the first time I did something proper, yeah. like a series. And yeah, bro, the scale of it was massive. And, and Man Like Mobin is a small show. Like, you know, if you compare it to like films and stuff, yeah, it's not yeah, a big yeah. show and stuff. But for me, it was massive because I'd never, the amount of people that are working behind the scenes, bro, like the camera guy's got two, three people with him, the lighting guy, the sound guy, there's two people doing that. Bro, there's so many different people on set. And I didn't even know what their jobs were, bro. Like, I didn't know what anyone's job was. I didn't know what these technical terms meant. <sighs> we were just learning, bro. On that first day, I was asking loads of questions. Like, oh, what does, you know, because they talk to each other and they're like, oh, the first AD is doing this. And I was like, what's that? And they're like, oh, the first assistant director. And I'm like, all right, but what's their job? Like, I don't know what any of these things meant in it. Even now, probably wouldn't be able to describe it very well. So, bro, we were just learning all them things in it as we go. And I remember the first, the first take for the first um, Man Like Mobin episode, that the first yeah. ever take that we shot, bro, the director's like, you know, go, whatever, action. Um, <laughs> bro, we turned the corner, so the supermarket scene, in episode yeah. two, the supermarket scene in episode two, where we're on the supermarket trying to, and, and Gus is saying, Stop getting, stop touching. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was the first scene, that's the first scene we ever filmed. And we turned the corner and we all just stopped and we're like, What's our line? Like, we, <laughs> none of us, none of us had learned our lines. Yeah. And we were like, It's me, Hollywood, and Gus, isn't it? And uh, we were like, Oh shit, what's our lines? And that, bro, we took us, and I could tell, like, the producer and the director was like, Fucking hell, like, We've got six more weeks of this. Yeah. But obviously we got better in it. And then we realized we do need to learn our lines. I was in a slightly advantageous position of being eight in that I don't have that many lines. Yeah. And I can improvise a lot. So I don't have to say my line exactly as it is because yeah, yeah, yeah. it's eight in it. I just have to feel like, the moment. Yeah, I would yeah, feel the right moment to say yeah, something. Yeah. And as long as it's something that's a bit obscure, borderline stupid or borderline like offensive to whatever these guys are doing, then it works. So I'm in a slightly advantageous position of being, have been able to do that. But obviously, Gus carries a lot of the dialogue and Tolu carries a lot of the dialogue in the scenes that they're in. So they have to obviously learn their lines at least semi-properly so they can yeah, yeah, try, and yeah. get it, try and at least get the gist of the line out. Same with Dua as well. But with me, I can just float along and at the end just say something dominate. Yeah. Or in the middle of something, just, just interrupt someone and say something dumb and they look at me and I'm like, what? And then they carry on talking. So... But we didn't even learn our lines. They did, they first, did. I remember somebody took, a, somebody took a clip out of one of the scenes. I think it might have been season two or three. I can't remember exactly. In the, in the A&E where Dua had hurt herself and she was in a trolley. And you could see a part where I think, I can't remember exactly what the line is, but you said something funny and Gus had to hold in a smile, but it actually still went. Bro, we were laughing. I, 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 actually, I actually had to turn my head around because I was <laughs> laughing so much. So I actually started smiling and I had to turn my head like that because I was like, but I thought they were going to do like another take in it. it I think every through. take, every take we were just laughing. That was the scene that every take we just laughed. And that was eventually run out of time in it. So you got to move on because yeah. we're on a tight schedule. So I think they're just like, just, just that's the best one we can get. Because the rest of them were even worse. Yeah. Of us just not being able to keep the straight face. Uh, but that's the joy of it as well, bro. Like it's so much fun to record. I mean, we have such a laugh on set. Yeah. Um, that I think it takes longer to make than it needs to because we're just laughing all the time. 
Yeah, dude, like that dude. scene in the in the church brawl with the yeah, 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 yeah all yeah. around the coffin. But that that scene took so long to film because we were laughing so much, bro. With the racist, with the racist. And because in, and, yeah, and because in that series, in the third series, we weren't with Gus that much. Because Gus was doing off doing his own thing with Mr. Khan and all that sort of stuff, innit? Yeah. So a lot of it was just me, Tolu, and me and Tolu, or me, Tolu, and Dua. And so the scenes where Mobin was there as well, bro, we just got silly in it. It was just, we were just really, really silly and stuff. So it was really fun. Do you think about, do you, do you ever think about its impact that it's had on the Asian community? Because I think it's become a thing of, I've talked with people over Zoom when I'm doing my um, other series, my podcast, Cricket Podcast, where I talked with people from Birmingham. And um, if I say Tezilias, they immediately think of Man Like a Bean. Or if they think of an, an iconic Asian, you know, sort of moment in up north or even in London in this community, it's Man Like Mabin because it's sort of like it's sort of like London's impact when Top Boy came out, um, yeah. on, which was Channel Four. It's sort of like Man Like Mabin to a degree has that sort of same relevance. Do you ever think about the impact that it's had? Because it's an ama- it's an honestly an amazing series, and ev- not every single person who's watched it, I guarantee you, loves some part so a part of it. I'm trying to think about it too much in it because. A, I'd like to keep myself grounded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, B, like, it's a bit of a head trip, isn't it? When you start thinking about what it means to people and stuff, it's a bit surreal in that. So, Alhamdulillah, it's amazing. And I'm glad that it has that impact on people. And I'm glad, like, especially with my character, they always tell me, people are always telling me how much they love my character. And yeah. it's amazing. Uh, but you've got to try not to let it go to your head, isn't it? So, in terms of its impact and stuff, I'm like, it's great that people feel like that. But I'm just trying to keep my, I'm just trying to keep myself grounded, isn't it? Yeah. Are you sad that Eights um, got murdered in the final episode of Series 2? Of course, I can't bro. lie. When, when it happened to me, I lost the plot. I can't imagine how many people did as well. I was, I was like, because it, it was like, the war was getting, had to open the door. You had to open the door. And we were thinking the war's going to get shot. And you ended up getting shot. And you were like screaming and you bro, got shot The again. amount of messages I got. It was crazy. The amount of messages I got, yeah. The amount of messages I got, yeah. Saying, why couldn't do have got shot instead of you? And I was like... <laughs> Because then it, because that's even worse. Um, yeah. Nah, bro. Yeah, of, of course I'm sad, bro. I love being in the show. But um, yeah, they need to go conclude that story and get revenge for me, innit? But bro, like part of it, we, we spoke about it, innit, before the show, before we filmed the series, the third series. And we were like, look, you know, because Gus is being stuck back into that gangster kind of world. And that. Yeah. And we wanted to show people watching that actually, if you end up in that life, whether you want to or you don't want to, someone's going to get hurt. And sometimes that isn't always you. You might be able to protect yourself. Um, you might know how to protect yourself and stuff. But someone's going to get hurt. And often it's the people around you. Um, and, you know, who was more innocent than eight? Do you know what I mean? So his death had a massive impact on people watching it. So obviously part of it is entertainment and drama. But the other part of it is think about what it means, like, you know, with all the, you know, we see a lot of gang activity in places like Birmingham and London and, places Manchester, Blackburn, and places like that. So it's like, but we also know those, those same people are a fan of, the fans of the show. So if they can watch the show and just pause for a second and be like, oh, okay. Then, you know, just make them hesitate a bit about their life yeah. choices. Then that would be good. That'd 100%. Be good thing. And then I want to talk about next is, before we go into the Tesla Clock show, mm. um, Bounty as well. Now, yes. Am I right in saying that you were directing or producing that show as well i was producing bro okay um so i wasn't i wasn't i wasn't directing yeah. but I, was, I was i was i was producing 
Uh, but it, I wrote, I, I, it was my show. I wrote it. I, yeah. you know, I'm in it. Uh, we have a production company, and obviously, be, as the creator performer, you are in the decision making process yeah. of like what does stuff look like, which actors, blah blah blah, and that is part of producing. So yeah, you get to do that as well. But I wasn't like the main producers on it because obviously they're the money people in it. They're the people with experience who know what they're doing and stuff. I was able to gain some experience of that side of it. Uh, but yeah, bro, when it's your own projects and stuff, bro, it's very stressful. Very, very stressful. It was almost like an it was almost like an all star. When I watched it, it was almost like an all star lineup. Um, it? Because it was you, it was you. Like you said, you love collaborating with Guz. Guz was in it. Sindhu was in it, who you've worked with countless times. And then you brought in Artif because when I spoke to Artif, he said that I think he said that directors weren't particularly pleased when you know you suggested his name, but he ended up being part of it, and he played that hilarious taxi driver. Ended up yeah, marrying your sister. because because I know what Arthur's capable of in it because I yeah, work yeah, with him yeah. a lot. But if if you don't if if, if like a TV producer or whatever hadn't necessarily heard of him, they draw the stack it with people they've heard of in it. But I'm like, nah, man, I know Arthur Finney, I know the chemistry we have, so I'd much rather work with people that I know that I know I have chemistry with, yeah, than people than trying to because it will come through in the in the in the in the finished process as well. You'll, you'll you can tell if there's chemistry or not. Exactly, exactly, and I trust Arthur Finney to like do that character justice and stuff because Artif is also from that world so he knows it um same with Sindhu bro no one could have done that job better than Sindhu like she nailed it as the mom yeah she was so good bro um so yeah man but you know we'll see we're still talking to Channel 4 about trying to get a full series bro it's been so long but Channel 4 particularly slow with these things but we'll see bro as I said what is written is written in it uh but we're gonna keep trying on our end yeah. people ask me about that all the time when's Bounty getting a full series like this is what the frustrating thing about people on social media is they act like things are up to us. Yeah. Like they're not up to me. Like my dad doesn't, my dad doesn't own a channel in it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not up to me. Yeah. That's something. All, the, all we do is, is, all we can do is ask. Yeah. And then they think about it. That's, That's something it. I've worked out as well. It's like, um, I'll be honest, as a consumer of the content, when the first series happened, and I, I don't think there would have been a massive amount planned ahead of that. I was like, when's the next part coming? But then when I've gone into content creation myself, nowhere near where you guys have come up to at that point. But when I'm doing it, people, in the, when I do get messages of uh, when's the next episode coming out, it's like the first one, bruv, the, I'm Pakistani. The first one just came out. I filmed it two days ago, bruv. <laughs> I, I edited it. Now you know how it feels, I, bro. I you don't know how frustrating <laughs> it is, bro. When we drop a season of Mad Like Mobin on the same day, when's the next season? Okay, watch this one in it. I like I edited it a bit and uploaded it about five minutes ago, bro. You, you're seeing me working. I'm stressed, bro. I'm I'm bowling and everything, bro. You like you gotta understand this isn't easy. So like when it's, now I've come up to a point where I have a little bit more appreciation for uh, content creation, acting, all that kind of stuff. But um, then I want to tap into then the Tez O'Clock show because yes, arguably is one of your biggest things as well. Um, channel for a series where you had um, you know interviews you had the, those little sketches with guys and sindhu where you're displaying different products and all that kind of stuff um what what did you want to get out of it from the series because there's a load of segments to it as a whole well i wanted to make a show ultimately i was to make a show that i would have loved yeah in my late teens early 20s like those shows that i loved back then in it like brass eye the ali g show stuff like that bro i wanted to make a show that I loved. Because you definitely and that I would have been proud of. You definitely there's that as well, bro. Yeah. 
that so it's like when I was watch when I was watching, there's like there's like five six different things you could take away from it, and when you come up to the stage and you're saying certain political stuff where in the audience is sort of like oh is he pushing the line is he like fuck so like fuck like fuck like fuck fuck France yes yes I've been proven right though, but yeah it's it's like it's like it I I guess that's probably one of the harder things of comedy like if especially for you it's like how far can I push the line without actually end up with a negative feedback from it? So then what, what, how much of it did you want to take out of it? What were the different things you wanted to get out of it as a whole, like you said? That's cool. Take your time. <laughs> Ultimately, bro. Yeah. Like I said, I just wanted to make sure that I was proud of. I want to showcase what I was capable of, the sort of comedy that I enjoyed, which is satirical, which is pushing it a bit, which is collaboration, I want to showcase Northern comedians. Like I got a chance to put Sophie Willen and Adam Rowe on. I got a chance to work with Sindhu. I got a chance to put Guz on. I got a chance to have really good guests like Jason Manford and Byron Aswasi. I got to do it in front of a live audience up North where when most shows are made down South still. So I was able to give people up North something to come and watch. Bro, all those things I've managed to do. Um, so I was very, very proud of it, bro. Not to say the show was perfect, and couldn't be improved or couldn't be tweaked. Yeah. But bro, given the limited time we had to make essentially an extended pilot season, like three episodes, bro, I think we smashed it. Like, and I would love to bring it back. But again, these things aren't up to us, bro. Yeah. You know, trying to follow up other considerations, sponsors, viewers, all that sort of stuff. Like, you know, all things that I don't really consider. Because as far as I was concerned, people who watched it loved it. The critics who watched it loved it. So I'm like, it's a no-brainer in it. But they are, they have other things to think about as well. But I always said that even if I never get a chance to do this again, I want to make a show that I'm proud of and that yeah. I can stand by. And I did that, bro. And I'm so pleased with how it turned out. Um, obviously, if you got another chance, we might change things slightly. We might tweak it a little bit to try and make it even better. But, bro, man, no, I was I was very proud of that show, man. And the people who came to watch it, bro, the live audiences, they loved it, bro. Like, I can remember my cousin's, my, my, cousin, my best friend who lives in Dubai, um, he caught it and uh, and he was like, oh, he goes, I enjoyed it, but I thought the canned laughter was a bit too much. And I was like, bro, that wasn't, there was no canned laughter in this. It was just the audience were just crazy for it. Yeah. They just loved it. They loved it, bro. It was just, yeah, I was really proud of it. What, what would you say then was most enjoyable about it? Was it the audience? Was it being part of a, of a production set that essentially you had control over? Because it's bigger than just the sketch and bounty as well, isn't it? Mm. So I'm, I'm eating a banana, hence my... Delayed responses. That's cool. That's cool. Um, you can just edit that bit out. Um, I think all of it, bro. Like, like being in it from behind the scenes because we create that show from the beginning, right? From the what segments shall we put in? Who, what shall we fill the segments with? Who else shall we bring into the show? Okay, let's write these sketches. Let's film these sketches. Okay, let's write these segments for the live show. Let's and then practice rehearse that. Okay, now do it on the day. Then on the day, picking out wardrobe doing all of that like i made sure that the makeup people were people that i wanted to work with i got myself a tailored suit made by a friend of mine who owns a tailoring company uh my mom cooked food for the show bro all of those bits bro is just lined up we had a big british northern asian audience coming in to watch the show bro it was just it was so good bro and i enjoyed every single aspect of it stressful yeah. bro yeah it's going week to week to week and then monday to wednesday becomes super then yes thursday friday but monday to wednesday is a stress because we film on the Wednesdays and Mondays is when we start doing all the writing and planning and stuff. It's a stress, bro. But I loved it, man. 
And yeah. I couldn't say enough about it, bro. I really, really enjoyed then, it. That's what I was going to ask next. Then, what what aspects of it? Because, like I said, you're you're leading a, a production set. Essentially, you're hosting the show. You're not just going to be a guest on it. What would you say was the most stressful part you found about it? All? You know, at the beginning of every single show, you just get super nervous. Like, are they yeah. going to enjoy it? Because it's topical, right? It's not like stand-up comedy where, yeah, I've been doing these jokes for a few weeks now. I know it works. This is like brand new. We've not tried this before. This is just brand new stuff that we're trying out in front of a real audience. And we get one take at it. That's it. We can't just be like, oh, I'll come back tomorrow. We'll do it again. And yeah. it'll be better. It just, it has to work now. So that's super stressful, bro. So beginning of every show, I was so nervous. Um, and obviously there were bits that like didn't, not that they flopped, but didn't do as well as other bits. Uh, and you can edit around that. But overall, bro, alhamdulillah, like most things worked. And the audience was super generous with their love and their laughter and their applause and stuff. So we just had a really good time. That's good to hear. Now, let's tap into the final part, which is the final part of this interview. The reason I want, you wanted to come on at this time as well, uh, yes. compared to a couple months ago. Um, yes. Like I said in the Brado interview, which is the last episode that was released, if you don't know, you're sleeping under a rock because Tez is dropping, is stepping into another avenue and he's dropping, okay, we're stepping out as well. Um, he's t- stepping into another avenue, which is his author bag. And he will be dropping his book, The Secret Diary of a British Muslim, aged 13 and three quarters, on his birthday, officially, officially, even though people have read it, uh, which is 8th of April. And this interview will hopefully be coming around at the same time, as long as my Pakistani timing is going to get ahead of me. Um, but let's get to finish this off. What, did you want, what made you want to step into this avenue in the first place? Because you've had acting, you've had hosting the show, you've had doing stand-up which is your bread and butter what made you want to make a book in the first place bro honestly we had time in it lockdown happened we needed something to do it's as much it's as deep okay. as that bro okay so the, the publisher came, actually the publisher came to us this time last year in yeah. march well it's april now but last march the timing was amazing the publisher came to us and was like do you know to write a book and i was like yeah obviously i want to write a book <laughs> i had no idea if i want to write a book in it but you don't say no yes like, obviously, obviously obviously i want to write a book where have you guys been of course um, and then you work it out afterwards And then they were like And then they gave the idea to us They're like Oh we would really love you To write a memoir About your teenage years um, And then I was like Sick that sounds I don't even know People would want to read that I was like What yeah. why, why would people want to read that They're like No people would be interested in that And I was like Alright sick Yeah alright let's do that And then we came up with a name Which is a play on The Secret Diary of Adrian Moore yeah. Age 13 and 3 quarters Which is a big book Back in the 80s So it's a bit of a par- the, the title of the party of that Was in diary format and it covers me from the age of 13 and three quarters up to 18 and a half. So year nine till the end of my A-levels when I left for uni. That's the period of time. So that five-year period it covers. Um, and bro, yeah, it was, it's, I'm, I'm very proud of it, bro. It's, it's, it's funny. It's raw. It's moving. Um, I've tried to be as honest as possible about that time in my life. Um, uncomfortably so. Like there's moments in there. Like I'm like, oh, I'm actually sharing this now. Yeah, this pain that I had, this, this, these troubling times that I went through, I'm actually sharing that with people now and they're going to know that about me forever. So, you know, it's quite, you feel like you're quite a bit vulnerable and a bit open and, and you're putting that bit out into the world. But then there's also some really fun stories about the time you got chased by a farmer with a shotgun in it. Like, bro, and then there's everything in between. Can I see that was in Pakistan, please? It wasn't, actually. It, it wasn't. wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. It was here. It was in Blackburn. Oh, my God. And then there was trips to Pakistan, yeah. um, trips to Alton Towers and Camelot, uh, which is a theme park we had up here. Uh, bro, there's so much stuff that the story covers, like Ramadan, Eid, all those things, bro. It's all covered, bro. School, 
must classes after school, um, then college, bro, like all of that, bro, it's all covered in there. And I think people of a certain generation, people of my generation who grew up at that time, they love it because they recognize them, see themselves in it. It's their story. Yeah, 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 yeah. Then your generation would love it because I think it'll be like, oh, it's interesting to see what my uncles and aunts, what my dad, like their generation, what it was like for them growing up on that. Um, but also because you're not that far off that age yourself. And so you can compare it to your own teenage years. Um, and then also the older generation who grew up in like, who came in the 60s, 70s, 80s, it's interesting for them because they'll understand us better. Because sometimes I feel like there's a bit of a, every generation has a clash in it. Like they don't understand the next yes. generation. Yes, yes, so, yes. so they can hopefully understand us a bit better as well. But also bro, I'd have loved for their, uh, when I was younger, I'd have loved for there to have been a book about the ARPNI who came here and grew up in the 60s, 70s, 80s on what their experiences were. That doesn't exist, bro. It didn't exist. So hopefully now I can be like, okay, here's a, here's, um, a book, uh, a time shot, a screenshot of this period of time. And so you can read it almost like a time capsule of what it was like for, you know, Pakistani, British Muslims growing up in that up north as well growing up in that time period, what it was like for us and stuff. Because 100%. That was, that was, that was going to be my next question, which was, what did you want people to take away from it all? But then I want to ask then, how, what was the process like of creating it all? Because you, like you said, it's been a year. Um, you said you're proud of it. You're obviously, I think you would have been um, recording the audio book not too long ago. I think it was as well. Um, so how was the process of it all coming about? Yeah. Um, funnily enough, I've actually, I actually did a vlog about this. So I've got a how yes. to write a book vlog on my YouTube channel. Yes, yes, yes. Which you should check out if you're interested in, in writing a book or just want to see more of my face. Um, but yeah, bro, like they gave us, they gave us the, so sort of once we shook on the deal and said, yeah, I'm going to write a book. Then we sort of started, then I kind of knew what the book was about. I had a chat with my editor about what the book's going to be about. Then I started researching in it. Like, I'm like, okay, so now I've got to dig into my memories about that time in my life. Yeah. Talk to my, talk to my friends, talk to my family members go on Wikipedia and look at everything that happened in those years to jog my memory. So I'm like, oh yeah, Diana died then. Oh yeah, the Soho bombings happened then. Oh yeah, Dum not Dumbling, Columbine happened then. Oh yeah, that was when that thing happened, that thing happened. Oh yeah, that's when that sport thing happened. That's when, oh yeah, Ronaldo got injured, blah, blah, blah. The original Ronaldo. Yeah. Um, so, so then I was able to write all of that down. Everything that happened outside of my own experiences that I remember from TV and news and stuff. Then my own experiences, then the stuff that my friends and family remembered. And I split that into like, school years, boss classes, yeah. home stuff, college years, uh, after college, all of that stuff. So I was able to like build up a picture. And then from there, I started dividing stuff up into like January, January, February, like in each year, like giving the stories into different months. And then from there, I had the massive skeleton outline and I was able to just populate that and write it. Uh, and I tried, tried to give myself a target of like a thousand-ish words per diary entry. Some are a bit less, some are a lot more. So it kind of averages out. And, um, and then, yeah, I did the first draft, gave it to my editor. She's quite pleased with it, but she has a lot of notes, obviously, because first time things aren't going to be perfect. So I'm back, we went back and forth a few times editing. Um, it's all my own work, bro. That's the other thing as well. Like the editor just says, can you have a look at that and maybe change it slightly, tweak that, or maybe bring yeah. a bit more of a voice into that bit, whatever. They give that, but in terms of like the book and the writing, it's all me, bro, for better or for worse. Um, and then once we got that out of the way, the editing side of it, then we have the legal read. So the legal team read it and they let you know what you can and can't say. So there's yeah. a handful of things where they're like, you're going a bit too far there. Maybe you want to change that person's name, uh, blah, blah, blah. So there's all that sort of stuff. And then the audio book where I actually read the whole book out loud. Yeah. Um, and that's available. The audio book is available also right now, the same time as the actual book is. So if you're not a big book reader, but you like driving or running or whatever, get the audio book. 
because um, it's you know narrated by me um <laughs> and then yeah bro and, and then the cover trying to choose the right cover that was a ball ache um going back and forth on different designs and we eventually settled on one we were meant to do that in october bro and we eventually settled on it in mid-february but you're pakistani but it, so it's yeah 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 plus my manager's like you know, my managers they're great and so they have a very strong view on things yeah about how things should or shouldn't be so like we, we just couldn't settle on a cover that we liked that they were giving us and then eventually we gave them an idea like what about something like this and then they ran with that. Then they designed something that we really liked. And then that was it. We, we, that's the cover that you see, um, full of 90s references and stuff. And my little, my nice little cute picture of when I was a kid. So, um, yeah, man, that's it. That was the process in a nutshell. Amazing. Obviously, very fast. If you want a, like a longer version of that story, you check can go check, check, out, check out my vlogs and that. And do read the book, please. 100%. Um, well, there you go, people. You heard it. Um, the f- then finally, quickly, what... What do you see yourself doing in the, in the future? You've done, like I said, acting, uh, comic, author now, streaming, TikTok series with desserts. Um, I'm still trying to find the source of auntie's desserts that I won't give the address away. But it's bro, cool. she, just, she lives she, down here, bro. She <laughs> lives four doors down. <laughs> she, but um, yeah, what do you see yourself doing or what do you want to see yourself tapping into in the future, if anything uh, more? Look. I want to carry on doing stand-up. I've got a big tour later this year, yeah, September to November. Um, so that's happening, inshallah, you know, all things being well and inshallah. equal and, and, you know, us coming out of this whatever lockdown we're in now. Um, so that's the plan. Um, and then, bro, hopefully we'll get to create some more stuff for TV. And I want, I want to guest more on TV as well. I want, I want to guest on those shows like QI and yeah. um, 8 of 10 does cats and Taskmaster and all that. I want to, I want to try and be on those shows. But, you know, if they want me, they know where I live. Um, uh, but yeah, bro, we just want to keep on keeping on in it and keep on and push this and as much as far as it can go. In five to ten years, bro, I'd love to be in a position where I'm stepping a bit more behind the camera and helping to produce the next generation of talent and stuff. Yeah. But we'll see how it goes. We'll see. Well, there you go, people. Um, the book, what was it? The Diary of a British Muslim aged 13 and three quarters. Yeah, the uh, Secret Diary. Out. Secret Diary. Uh, will be out not so officially. not so secret anymore <laughs> um, it will be out officially even though people have already set, seen it like you said um on the 8th of april tez's birthday as well so make sure you guys go check it out pre pre-order it audiobook will be available um however many listeners i get on this my 25 listeners will have returned it's, like, it's a classroom in it um and <laughs> also if you if you pre-order it there's a link on my, so you go on my Instagram, there's a link with my, with all the different things on it. Yeah. And uh, like Linktree. And you can, if you pre-order it, you can enter a competition to win two free tickets to a tour show. Later this year. So there's an, there's an incentive to pre-order if you like. There you go, people. Um, well, this has been another episode of Breaking It Down, helping you guys uh, find it. Even though like, I'll be honest, I'm in my teens still. And even though I've only been in this journey of, being a content creator i think now that i've found someone or found a set of people that i can look towards as sort of a reference for me it's gary vaynerchuk and a few other people um i think i want to help people find that person for them so they can sort of have a guide reference going to the future whatever it happens to be at being an athlete entrepreneur a uh, creative and artist which is the reason i bring in a range of people not just as, uh, as someone from a specific niche so um tess thank you for coming on bro 
thank you for having me, bro. I enjoyed no it. No problem. Um, people, if you want to check out the rest of the series or check out this episode, it's available on my YouTube. Uh, you can check it out on Spotify, iTunes, all that kind of stuff, breaking it down. Uh, check out the other episodes. I've got artists episode coming up. I've got an athlete out in the US who's from the UK playing American football. We've got Brado's interview, an upcoming artist, all of this kind of stuff. So breaking it down. This has been another episode. I hope you guys enjoyed. I've been Mo. This has been Tez. We'll see you guys on the next episode of Breaking It Down.